Good evening. Today is Wednesday, August 8, 2023, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter step is how it works, step four, and our speaker tonight is Claudine B. Thank you, Claudine. The room is yours. Thank you. Um, could I do, Melissa, could I do 10 and 5 instead? Thank you. Um, I'm Claudine. I'm a recovered compulsive eater. Um, I would say that I'm very happy to be speaking, but it makes me a nervous wreck. So, um, but you have to say yes when you're asked to, to speak. So I did. Um, I, a lot of what I'm going to do is going to be reading because I've, I cannot keep my thoughts together. I know that's daunting to watch, but I'm going to do the best I can. So step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Um, to qualify, I have been a compulsive um, eater since as far back as I can remember. Um, it was it was just like for so many of us, it's how I stayed alive and it saved my life. Um, I grew up a home in a home um, not uncommon to the rooms. It was it was abuse in every way, you know, every technicolor abuse you can think of. But it was it was also heavy, heavy spiritual abuse. So um, God was anything that anyone did was covered by you have to forgive. You have to forgive or called to forgive. So it doesn't, it, what happened to you is smaller than what you need to do now. And so it was, my picture of God was just destroyed. I thought he was horrible, but at the same time, trying to understand how much he loved me because that's what I was being told. So, um, it was it was confusing and the the abuse part was the norm the confusing part was the god piece cuz we just my sister and i just couldn't fit it together in our head my dad was a pastor um and so that was different in that whole aspect too but um i i ate everything i could get my hands on i ate any medicine i could find i'm I ate a pack of birth control pills because they were pink. I ate, I would get up in the middle of the night when I was a toddler and get condiments. Like they would find empty salad dressing bottles in my bed, things like that. I would go around the neighborhood begging for food. I just, it was a constant state of give me more food. And it resulted in having my stomach pumped twice at the hospital, just different things like that. But it was funny. They thought it was funny. And they still tell stories about the ways I would get food, the way, how much I would eat and just different things like that. And, and I loved the attention. I loved it. I thought it was great. So I'm sure I acted out with food even more, but it was, I needed the affirmation and I got it through what I was using to destroy myself. I didn't know it at the time, but that's what I was doing. So it really saved my life in my formative years because so much was going on that I could escape into that. It was my friend. It let me feel my feelings. It 
It was consistent. It didn't abandon me. It, it felt like love. It felt like the nearest thing to love that I could get. And so I'm glad that I had it, but I didn't know that I didn't need it anymore. Um, when I was in middle school, I, my, my mother was a diet and exercise fiend. And when I was in middle school, I started Weight Watchers and going to Jane Fonda with her twice a week. And so we would go get the leotards and all that stuff and dress up and, you know, put on makeup and do our hair and go work out. And so, and I, I did that faithfully and I, it, it was a chance to spend time with my mom in her addiction. So it felt like that felt like love too. But as I got into high school, I realized that, especially in the, we had transitioned to our stepfather at this point, but um, especially we had a, he was, that was when sexual abuse moved into our home. But what I thought was that's the currency to get love. So it just made sense to me because that's what was happening at home. And so that's what it became. I had to be aesthetically perfect. I had to weigh a certain amount, which was, you know, that, that goal always changes and things like that. But that went on all through high school. Um, it didn't help me accomplish what I wanted. I was up and down with my weight. Um, and it just, I kept re-traumatizing myself with different behaviors that just perpetuated the disease because I would feel bad about that and have to eat more. And you all know the drill. Anyway, so time passes and I pretty much stay at, you know, the developmental stage I was in, in, you know, late elementary school, probably eight to 10 years old. And that's how I interacted with people. That's how I showed up in relationships. That's how I showed up in conversations. That's all I knew to do. I had no growth whatsoever. It's reactive. I was angry. I used every substance I could get my hands on through my adult life. Um, and then when I was 30, I um, had a little girl and um, I was still extremely sick, but I also knew I was in trouble. So I told my therapist when I was pregnant, I was like, we have no more time. We've got to get me fixed. I'm out of time. I'm going to destroy this child if we don't fix me. And I don't recall her saying anything to that. I mean, anyway, but I somehow believe that that might be possible at the time. Um, it was not. I had not, there was no awareness in me that I was spiritually sick. I, I didn't believe that that, I didn't know anything about the 12 steps. So why would I believe that could be possible? I just needed to quit doing what I was doing. So we go through um, her formative years and the imprint I leave with her is not just my disease, but that's what was reigning supreme. So she got a front row seat to that and um, she knows that. And, you know, we've made great strides since then. She's 26 now and she has her own um, addictions to face, but she, she is. So a side note, I'm very glad about that. Um, when I was, I guess, 42, I, I'm sorry, that makes no sense. Probably 15-ish years ago, I got into one 12-step group and um, 
it was a secondary addiction. I came to find out, but it was, it was a group that had bowls of candy and a massive cake for every milestone. And that was good. That was a good perk. So I went and I would do that and, and things were not getting better. Um, and so I had a boss who was attending OA meetings and I had, he, he and I were very good friends and had been since we were in middle school. And he said, I'm doing this thing called OA. And I said, what is that? And he said, it's Overeaters Anonymous. And I thought, well, that is not sexy at all. The other program sounds a little bit sexy, but this one is not. And he was telling me about it and I thought, okay, I, I, yeah, something in me knew that's where I had to be. So I went and I got a sponsor and I lied for nine years. Every time I went, everything, everything I said, I parroted what people said. So I would look like I had recovery. I, um, I ate, I was still so deep in the food, but I, I had a sponsor who she just didn't require a lot of me and that's no fault of hers. It was just somebody that I could stick with and manipulate and lie to and God bless her. She trusted me. She trusted me and she hung in there with me, even though everything she was looking at was telling her that I wasn't telling the truth. I had an excuse for everything. But I stuck with it until I, I was wanting to, I couldn't find a segue out because of course I didn't want to look bad by leaving and, you know, all that was tied up in it. So I, um, the pandemic was rolling around. And so that was a good segue to slip out the back door. And um, I had every intention of starting going to another fellowship that I thought would help me. But really what I wanted was just out. I just wanted out. And the way that I could justify that is to hate everyone in the group, to find flaws with every single person in there. And, um, you know, I'm talking, uh, it had to be hate. So if someone said a slogan to me, I wanted to punch them in the face. That's I was so angry about the, thank you, about the slogans that I, did you say five or 10? Oh, good. Whew. Anyway, um, I was really off the rails there. Um, anyway, I was mad and I, and I swore these people that said that they were recovered, that they um, were lying and they had just found their willpower. So I made them all liars. And, um, and then I was good and ready to leave because I couldn't be a part of a group like that. But I knew there was nothing else. There was nothing else. I couldn't diet to save. I couldn't diet for an hour. I couldn't do anything. I was so in that two year span, I became so emotionally drunk that the weight was secondary. I was, my weight was higher than it had ever been. And I was binging in more amounts than I had ever binged on. But I was also, you know, I was staying in a job. I knew I shouldn't be in just to spite them. I mean, that was a conscious thought. I'm going to stay here to punish. And it was just, it made everything worse. But yet at the same time, I was saying, you know, this, this constant conversation of, can you believe they did this? I cannot believe, you know, and I was the victim in everything, but I couldn't see that I was a victim. 
I, I just, I couldn't see it. I really thought that I, I, nothing was my fault. So a friend of mine said, um, I, I know you don't, she said, I know you don't want to go back in LA, but someone told me about this podcast and it's got big book teaching like I've never heard before. And um, she told me the name of it and I immediately thought that is the stupidest name, but I went ahead and listened to it and it truly was big book teaching like I had never heard before, never in my life. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that I could, I got, I had hope. It was hope. And so, um, let's see, I started first five and what it felt like in that moment was that, you know, all this time I'm looking at God in a boat going, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And then he reached out his hand again and I finally grabbed it and he was there. And it felt like he was saying, this is it, Claudine, this is it. I'm going to get you and I'm going to take care of you and save you. And I, it took me by such surprise because I was so done. I was so done. And so I listened to another podcast and then I contacted one of the people that led the group and I said, I got to have a sponsor today. I mean, it felt like an emergency. If I didn't act on it right then, I was going to lose it. And um, so she said, I've got a sponsor. I've got a sponsor that just re got recovered and um, she's right there in Nashville with you and you need to call her right now. She's waiting on your call. And I guess she had texted her while we were talking and I called her and she said, well, we're going to meet at four o'clock today. And I, we met at Whole Foods at four o'clock and she said, I want you to pray out loud right now for a spiritual transformation. And I did. And I I meant it. I mean, I was really saying, God, please, please just help me. I can't stay in this hell because I'm dying. And I also knew with my weight that I really was. I had just been told that I was pre-diabetic and, and my, it was the first time my doctor called me after physical and said, here we are. It's we're here now. And this is serious. And so I knew, and one of the other things was that my daughter came to me and she said, mom, I'm worried. I'm worried about your weight and I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm scared. And so I was like, okay, this is all of this is just all bad. It's all bad. And so, um, anyway, so I met with her and then I didn't have a nutritionist. And so the deal was you either see a nutritionist or I will give you a food plan. And it was the food plan that her sponsor gave her and that her sponsor used. And so she gave me the food plan and I said, I, I looked at it and I said, this is not enough food. I'm going to starve. And she, what the, she said, she just looked at me and she said, I didn't question it. And I thought, there it is. Am I really willing to take instruction? Am I really surrendered? And I was, and I did it. I took that food plan. I got up and left. She gave me all my instructions. Five um, minutes. Thanks. I knew what my orders were. 
And I walked out with food neutrality right then. So we started working on the steps. Um, I got to step four, I procrastinated, I froze, and then I finally got started. I wrote down my resentments, the cause, what it affected, my part, and my character defects. Okay, so my list wasn't surprising, um, except I had some politicians on there, which I thought I just laughed at when I came back to it. I mean, it was so stupid. I just invented truths about them. No idea. Um, the causes were a list of seemingly horrible things that people had done to me through no fault of my own. I was a victim and they were the perpetrator. In some cases, like abuse, this was true. In others, it was not true. Most of my resentments affected my emotional security and my dominant defects are self-righteousness, anger, and judgment. The thread I was able to see was really clear. Um, my part was next. I had always thought that the nature of my wrongs had to be something I did to someone. I was looking at lying, stealing, shaming, hurting people, et cetera, but could also be my insistence on engaging and proving I'm right. It was engaging that often led to my wrongs against that person. I would have scenarios with my mother where she would tell me I said something I didn't say and I couldn't let it stand. I, would, I could have said I needed to go and gotten off the phone. I could have rested in knowing that she was behaving consistently with how she had always been, but I needed her to be someone different. I needed her to know she was wrong and that I knew she was lying. I always knew what the outcome would be, yet I continued to do it. I couldn't accept her, so I had to keep fighting her. And most all my relationships were like that. Um, when I got to my completed um, fourth step, I realized um, I'd been blind to all of it. Um, I also wasn't sorry at all. What I realized is that instead of, you know, when I would ask God for forgiveness and things like that, I was asking him to excuse me. I wasn't, there was no, there was no sorrow that brought lasting change. Um, it was just to pick up and go on. And when I did it again, I'd ask for forgiveness. And that was just my script. Um, because I, there was nothing I do to change it because I was so spiritually sick. That was just what I did. Um, I went into my fear inventory and my fears had a theme as well. I did not trust God to take care of me in any way. I had a performance-based relationship with God and I was consumed with self-loathing and unworthiness. I believed he had abandoned me. One of my fears was lack of provision. If I have no money, then I'll be homeless. The dishonest thinking is that money is more powerful than God. And I know that's true. I knew it then and I know it now, but that's what my fear was telling me. You got to have money. God's not enough. And that was in so many of my fears. Um, anger was prevalent in my life. I stepped into the role of God um, and I thought that people who harmed me must pay. I had to bring justice. Um, I was terrified of losing my anger at one point because if I did, that meant these people were off scot-free. And, and what happened to me was erased. But through the program, I was able to see that that's not true. That is not true. I can be free. And that doesn't mean reconciliation. It doesn't. Is that a goal? Yes. And have I started saying today I'm estranged from some family members? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It might be different, but I know I'm willing to follow God's will and ask him what that is um, in those relationships. I just don't know. So um, what the four step did was for me 
was untangle everything that was in my head so that I could see it and start with the truth. It opened my eyes and helped me look at how living in those resentments and defects serve me. It helped me see that God doesn't need my help when it comes to justice or determining what people deserve. I heard a quote last year, and then I'll wrap it up, that describes most of my life. I was dumbstruck when I heard it. Nothing I could have ever said describes me better when I'm not pursuing God in a recovered state. And it's a quote by Frederick Buchner. And it says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back in many ways. It is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. I read this quote often because I can still slip into that kind of fear and savor the scenarios I come up with to get justice. When I start savoring anger and speaking the things I would say, if I could, I remind myself that God doesn't need my help. I serve a just God. If there is any judgment to be made, he will handle it. I also think about the justice I deserve and the grace and mercy I've been given. I see people as spiritually sick now instead of one-dimensionally horrible, cruel, and wicked. They're already receiving justice by their own hand by staying in the prison they made for themselves, just That's like that. Thanks. Um, I also remind myself that I can't afford to be angry. I hated that saying, and I hated it when people said it to me because I didn't know what it meant. Today, I respect what anger can do to me if I let it. Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you so much, Claudine. <clears throat> we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And I will call the raised hands in order. Um, and our Zoom host, Liz, will um, ask you to unmute when it's your turn. And if the timekeeper, who is Melissa, if you will set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. Um, Lacey P, welcome home. Thank you, Carla. Thank you for your service. Uh, I am Lacey. I am a compulsive overeater. And wow, I um, this has not ever happened to me, I don't think, in hearing an OA speaker. But I was multitasking, which I do sometimes. I was taking care of my four-year-old and I had to stop doing that and sit down. I was just blown away by your um, authenticity and the intimacy of your story. I'm so incredibly grateful when people share like that. And I find that a lot on this meeting. Um, I desperately need that. It reminds me that I belong here, that there's hope, um, that I'm not alone and that God is so, so big. So thank you so much. Thank you, Lacey. Meredith, welcome home. 
Hey, everybody. Meredith B., um, recovered compulsive overeater in Nashville. Um, I I feel like um, spent. I was just like Lacey said. I I was just like dr- so drawn in and waiting, like hanging on every word. And um, Claudine, you're just you're a a miracle. And, I mean, we all are. And I think um, last night when you were sharing after the speaker, you said something like it wasn't time or, you know, so, oh my gosh, I'm just so grateful. I'm just going to start bawling, but I'm so glad you were rescued. And um, thank you for your story always. It just kills me. Okay. I pass. Thank you, Meredith. Ian, welcome home. Hi, I'm Ian F. Compulsive Overeater. Um, Claudine, (laughs) I love when people say that they're nervous before they speak because it means God is about to take over. Absolutely. Um, Beautiful share. the 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 bit about eating the pills and, and and eating the condiments and loving the attention from it. I loved to be the guy who ate ketchup and bread at parties. <laughs> you know, it's just like eating that attention up more than anything else. Um so so just you know the the almost drunk a lot of part of it is this, you know, I relate so hard, but um of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun. The other ones, like the the fear and the dishonesty and the self-centeredness, like if I'm dishonest, I just feel guilty. <laughs> and if I'm afraid, I just feel anxious. But there's something about anger that just it's I think that's why they say it's the, the deadliest one. It's like the, the chiefest defect because it it feels good. Kind of like the food, like it feels good to feed um, into that. And you don't realize until later how how harmful it can be. Um, and so I just I just love that quote because I I need to be reminded sometimes that like it doesn't matter if something did happen to me or something didn't because in the end the anger is not it's not it's not worth it you know and it's not helpful. Um, so I just, I just thought that was a really beautiful quote. Um, yeah, that's about all I've got. Thank you so much for your share. Pass. Thank you, Ian. Kendall, welcome home. Hi, good evening. My name is Kendall, recovering compulsive overeater. Um, Claudine, thank you so much for your share. Um, I always keep a pen and pad nearby to just grab things and sometimes they end up not exactly how they were shared, but they put themselves together in my brain uh, in a way that's important for for my own recovery. Uh, but one of the things is one that caught me was performance-based relationship with God. Uh, this idea of my worth being determined by the things that I could do or what I could demonstrate for someone or something like an institution, like a job or for a group of people. 
And uh, the manipulation that comes with that, I often see myself as a kind manipulator, anticipating people's needs uh, before they ask me for them. But the biggest thing I thought heard in what you were sharing too is uh, making family members or making people into that monster in my head or having an expectation of them that they need to show up in a certain way. Uh, so expectations for me too came up as a really big deal in my uh, in my uh, in my step four the first time through and the second time through and the third time through uh, so many times. Uh, but what I found also what I also heard in that was the righteous justice, the need for justice from people uh, that had wronged me. And righteous indignation, so righteous anger is one, and judgment is a big one for me. Uh, and sometimes I've often said, uh, I don't know if it's a quote, um, but I've often said, I don't think that there's any better anger than righteous anger, and there's no more dangerous anger than righteous anger, because when I'm right, someone is always hurt. Uh, and the other thing I, I heard in what you were sharing, though, as well, in terms of the expectations, it was sort of like a reverse golden rule. I found even in the pattern, and I have some stories of abuse, um, even the pa what pattern showed up is what was done to me, I had done to others. Not in physical harm, but in verbal harm. Uh, when I felt abandoned, I abandoned relationships. When I was, uh, when I felt emotionally violated, I did those things to other people, uh, almost so that I could get the I could get the jump on them. And what I realized is that we don't, I don't have to do that anymore. In recovery, uh, things that happen to me that might not have been my fault are my responsibility to hand over to God. Uh, and the quote that I love that you said, those two, is that God doesn't need my help with justice. Just a reminder that the, the justice belongs to my higher power. And uh, thank you for that reminder, and thank you for a powerful lead. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Kendall. And Dana, welcome home. Hi, I'm Dana, a recovering compulsive eater. Um, Claudine, where are you? I've got to find you. Where'd you? Oh, there you are. Hi. Um, you know, I don't even really know what to say. I just want to say that your um, your your rawness and your honesty and your clarity um are you know for for someone like me new and kind of finding my path a real guiding light um it's a way of being and seeing and evolving that i hope to find and i just think that um your the courage it takes to be as vulnerable as you are um, has an incredible influence on the people who witness your story. And um, thank you very much for it. Um, I pass. Thank you, Dana and Melissa. Welcome home. Okay, hang on, start. Um, hello, so glad to be here. Um, just got back from a time away. Sorry, I just hear my wife bringing the dogs in. Um, <laughs> I can't focus. Okay, so you were sharing about fears and resentments, and I would love to know um, if you could walk through either one of them 
I know you talked something about fear of housing and money or resentment with family. If you could walk through one of your four steps. Um, it, you know what? I'm just going to pull it up and look at it. Um, one of my fears, um, this is a big one for me. A lot of them have God in it because I grew up so afraid of God. Um, I'm afraid of, I'm in trouble with God and he's angry at me. Why do I have this fear? If I'm in trouble, then I'm unforgivable, irredeemable, and abandoned. I am hopeless. And there is no future for me here or ever. Um, what is the dishonest thinking? God is a shaming punisher. If I lean on what I was taught as a little girl, there is no grace or mercy for me. There is no hope for me. God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. Continue to let me see that this fear diminishes your work and makes it worthless. You see Jesus when you look at me. I'm your beloved, and I know that. The words that I'm hearing are not your voice, and they never have been. They were the imprint from other, other people. I know your goodness now, and I know your character. Action to take to study and learn more about the character of God and seek it in other people, to keep looking and reaching for what is true about him. This fear is not God talking. It's wickedness talking to me. God is not angry with me and he never has been. Um, I don't know if you want me to expand on that. Um, um, I, you still have a minute and a half, so it's up to you. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't really, that's just my process through all of it. I have to speak what I think his voice is saying to me and then um, go from there. And I, you know, I've had people say when they read my inventory at night, you know, I feel like you're really punitive with yourself and there, and that's the environment I did grow up in, but I'm not anymore. I'm really not. I mean, the way I hear God's voice now is just a radical departure from what it used to be. I believe to my core that he is good first and foremost. So there you go. Thank you so much, Melissa and Claudine. Um, Cindy, well, um, I think we will stop the recording now, Liz, and then we'll